Welcome to the DevCom Games Industry Podcast with your host, Lars Janssen. Welcome to this episode of our DevCom Podcast Series, bringing you the DevCom experience year-round. Today, we will talk about brand and IP in video games, and my guests for that are all coming from the same company named Leverage that specializes in the field. It's Christian, the CEO, uh, Gerard, creative director, and David, head of brand and strategy. Uh, welcome, y'all. Happy to have you here. Hi there. Thanks. Hi there. Hi. Great to be here. So th thanks for joining. It's always exciting to have like multiple guests on the on the cast. Um, so to set the stage, um, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and your co the core of your roles um, you have at Leverage? Um, and maybe let's start with Christian and then lead over to David and Gerard. Sure. So I'm uh, the CEO and I'm the head of IP development. So what I do is I help companies to build IPs that last. So I come out of producing my own games in my own company. I've done about 35 of those. And then I was head of IP development at Nordic Film Games, which is a, mm -hmm. an investment arm of the media conglomerate. So when I work at at, at Leverage, it's, um, it's very much about sparring with game developers and figuring out how to take their games and make them into lasting properties. So instead of being a one-shot, suddenly it's something that the users uh, recognize and come back to and have a relationship with over a long time. And sometimes that's just sparring, and sometimes it's going all the way and actually being a narrative director on the side while the team is working with their game. And then I coordinate with Jerry and David. So leading over to, I don't know, maybe David, you next. Um, yeah. How does the head of brand strategy, your role, tie into into that? Yeah, well, I, I, the thing is kind of I'm, I'm a product of my background, which um, kind of adds up to a fairly useful cocktail of creativity and strategy. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of act as a bridge between the two. Um, in my career, um, you know, I, I wanted to be a chef initially, um, and you know. Well, I guess that I, I turned out to be different, right? <laughs> I, well, I, I, I suppose I still am at heart. Um, but the interesting thing when when you work in, in in the chef industry, you realize that people actually um, are not specifically interested in the ingredients that you've you've put together, but they're they're eating with their eyes. And that's the first thing head chef said to me. He says, "Guys, you got to understand that people eat with their eyes." And as a young man, that left a huge impression on me. Um, but it's, it was, it's a terrible industry. So I moved out of that and, and, and moved into film, um, which acted as a segue into advertising, um, where kind of I rested for, for, for the majority of my career. I moved to London in my, when I was a, a young man, uh, to be a, an art director, then creative director, um, But then I kind of moved uh, slightly aside because I was very interested in, in not just the selling of a products, but actually the companies behind them um, and how they formed their brands. And I set up my own brand agency in, in London. Um, came back to Ireland in 2006 um, to then head up and be sort of managing partner of uh, an organization called Super Union. Uh, and they are part of WPP. So Super Union is, is, is a global branding agency, and I run the, uh, the Dublin office of that. Um, but now um, I, kind of, I, I kind of add my cocktail of, of brand and strategy to leverage to help kind of um, game brands kind of up their game from a perspective of building impactful brands, but also connecting into the IP. So is the games That's industry, the from, from your point of view, better than uh, being a head chef somewhere? Since you started with uh, that, it's it's probably as chaotic. Um, actually, That's what I wanted to hear. Yeah. <laughs> there's probably some similarities. You know, there's, there's a there's a thing which they talk about in 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 catering, which is mess en place, which is how you set yourself up, um, and it's how you're ready for your game. Um, and if your mess en place is not in place. Uh, you're going to have a chaotic evening and you're not going to be getting the orders out on time. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's very similar from a strategic pr perspective. You've got to get your maison place in place. Yeah. Um, Everybody who's played overcooked in, uh, in this industry, which is pretty much the crossover between what you were saying and the, the, you knows that the maison place is really important. Uh, so leading over to, um, to Jerry, um, why don't you tell us a bit about your creative director role at Leverage? Okay, so well, a lot of what I do is working with the guys to try and help them implement, particularly say David would to try and help him implement uh, his the strategic 
uh, work that he does. So myself and David would often work very closely, and Christian, in terms of trying to um, bring to life uh, strategic thinking in a way that uh, fits creatively within the market. So it's tr- so quite often what, my, what myself and David and Christian would spend a lot of time doing is looking at the market, looking at how we'll get how we're positioning a game, and trying to do that in a way that articulates it at uh, the best way possible uh, in relation to their to what the brand is about, firstly, but also how it's positioned within the market. Does that make sense? It does if you include the word key visual. <laughs> key visual yes and that's yeah so that's making it very practical so when you when you bring it down to practical things yes it's about key visual it's about logo uh then it, it filters down into a marketing material um, a brand identity manual all those components so that you have a clear brand identity for a game a clear visual strategy so let's start at the, at the beginning, like ask the very basic question, why would you build a brand and an IP? Um, why does it matter so much? I suppose probably the best thing to do in answering that is, is, is to talk about what a brand is. Um, and, and kind of, you know, that's a word that's used in a lot of different ways. Uh, some gums so bad. But from a game perspective, um, it's about how you communicate your game to the market so that the player can make sense of what you're offering in a way that's relevant to them. And that's a lot about branding is, it's about helping people navigate choices. Um, so you would engage in branding in order to communicate correctly and effectively to your audience. Uh, you know, if I take it back a bit, you know, we as, as humans are hardwired to kind of assess things, to pigeonhole things. Um, and we, we have associations for things. So, you know, if something, if a product is orange, for instance, you'd expect it to taste like an orange. If a product looks, if something looks sharp, you'd expect it to be dangerous. Uh, these are associations we have, and if you know, if we have a choice, we contrast and compare. Um, that's how we make sense of the world. And if you think about it from from the point of view of of the components of of branding, um, you know, a name sets expectations. Um, you know, um, you, you know, the, the the logo and how the logo is created expects creates expectations. It's communicating. Um, the key visual is about explaining, you know, what is the kind of the, the experience you're going to have within the game. Color is very important, and and kind of your proposition and 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 in, in how you say it sets the tone. All these things are component parts of a brand that set expectations. So to some degree, you could probably talk about a brand as a promise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, somebody looks and says, "Okay, I I kind of I think I think what I'm going I know what I'm going to get here." You know, so you're promising something to somebody and you're actually hoping, they're hoping that the experience they have is, is aligned with what you promise. Um, um, maybe, I mean, one, one, um, if I can give you an example of, of, of how this kind of work is important or how it adds value, would be a project that uh, we worked on a couple of years ago would be a really good example where they had a, um, a key visual uh, that was, it was just basically a list of features. It was like a list of in-game features. It was like the type of things you could do in the game. And it was... And that was the key visual, so they just they just wrote it down on, on like well, a, no, no, it, creative it image was, it, it was different. Not, no, they didn't write it down. It was um, little segments of what you could do within the game. So it was, it was visually... Uh, it was visually rendered, right? In other words, okay. it was like a... Let's say it was a war game, right? And it had all these different things that you could do in the game. So you could cycle a bike, and then there's a character cycling a bike. You could drive a tank till somebody's riding a tank. And there was all these different things trying to be crammed into the key visual. But the problem was was that, firstly, there were several problems. Number one, it didn't communicate what the key selling point of, of the game was. That was a big problem. Secondly, it didn't give you the... Um, emotional experience that you were going to have with that game. And those things are really, really important. Right down to the key visual, all the characters in the key visual were fa- had their backs facing to the camera, for want of a better word. So so if you were looking at the key visual, <laughs> all the characters had their backs facing to the... So there was, there was no... They were running kind of, away. They were running away. There was no kind of um, attempt to create any kind of emotional connection. Yeah. 
And so this is something I think that we we kind of see a lot with with uh, with, with game developers that they're so in love with their game that that they they want to show the viewer all these amazing features, all these amazing things you can do in the game. But the problem is is that because of that, when you look at say something like like a key visual, it it gets reduced down to a visual representation of those features, as opposed to that emotional experience that you're going to get when you play that game. And that's yeah, a it's, it's a little that that key visual is a little bit like the difference between a front cover of a book and the index of a book. Um, <laughs> they put the index on the front cover, and you know what I was saying earlier on about kind of you know, um, you know, it's about helping them make sense of what the offer is, but you know, it's also understanding what's important to them. Um, and you know, I mentioned earlier on about what I learned in cooking, but what I learned in advertising was that you've got to keep it simple, simple, simple. Um, if there's more than one clear message coming out, then you're, you're confusing people. And in advertising, they've got a phrase, which is tell them one thing, tell them, tell them again, and tell them you told them. Um, and that's the kind of process that advertising works to because you know, there's so much stuff out there for people to, 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 to take in that when you want to communicate effectively, you communicate the most important thing first and clearly. And then you ladder into other things. An issue with a lot of a lot of key visuals is they just try to put everything in there because everybody's in love with it. They're too close to the game. They put too much in there. Yeah, yeah it's funny because this this it makes me think of how we started leverage. Because what happened was um, I was working at Nordic Film Games, and the, the brief was how do we take these games and make them into lasting properties? So instead of just you know we buy one game and then. We go out and buy another game. We want people to come back and buy another game in the same series or watch a TV show based on that and so on. And that's actually where we three started working together and breaking it down. And what we realized was that if you look at the big entertainment uh, properties, the franchises, then there's two things they have that all the rest don't. And one is they have a brand with all the things that Jerry and David had just described. And the other thing is they have an IP. And so the problem is, of course, that if you're an indie and you're doing your branding yourself, exactly as Gerard says, you're so in love with it, you end up putting all that stuff up there instead of making an emotional connection. But of course, it has to go into the IP. It has to go into the actual experience, the characters in the game and so on. And these things have to be connected. And connecting these two things is something that we found is that's the big one, getting both of them to work. So what's your definition, uh, if I may ask at this point, uh, how do you define brand and how do you define IP for people in the games industry that are, that are like getting into this? And a lot of the listeners we have to this podcast series are probably people that don't have too much experience with, with brand and IP and, and what it takes to, to build those two. Um, how do you usually define that? Well, maybe I can start with the IP there. Um, so the IP is the part of the game experience that you can own. And that's a tough one. How much can you actually own? What your publisher really wants to own is the character and have a recognizable character. So if you think about all the big franchises like uh, Hitman or uh, uh, Lara Croft or Harry Potter or whatever, it's always a character. And the reason is that the character is what connects you emotionally. It's where people see themselves. And it's also the only thing that can carry over into other media. So if you don't have a a character, you don't have an IP. Of course, you also have to have a good experience. You have to have a story that enables that character to be emotionally relevant. And you have to have a universe that will last. So that's the IP part. And then the next thing is the brand. How do you communicate yeah. that to the market? So the, the, the brand, let me see if I can tackle that one. The brand is the articulation of the artistic intent. And the artistic intent is what we define as why people made the round, why made the game, sorry. What what were they what what made them produce this game in the first place? What motivated them to produce this game? Was it that they were um, watching a kung fu film and they kind of thought, okay, I want to make the best kung fu game there is, the most authentic, realistic kung fu game that can be created. And the brand is taking what that artistic intent is and articulating it into a piece of communication. 
let's say from what, when you talk about it, and then that then translates into everything from the tone of voice of how the copy is written. So in other words, how the copy, how the game itself is described, how the key visual looks, how the visual video is produced, how the logo was rendered, all those different things. That's what defines the brand. Yeah. But ultimately, I suppose it's the promise. It's it's you know you've got an an IP which is the characters that that part which you emotionally engage with the story the universe, and the brand is is taking that and externalizing that in a way that they can make sense. It's a it's that promise to the marketplace of the experience you're going to have. Yeah. So so when you approach game developers or when they approach you and say hey we need some advice there, um, how educated are they usually um uh, about this is it like i mean you you had the example of uh you know the the, the game that was pretty much putting their their index on the on the front yeah. uh, front cover um so how did you solve this i mean it sounds like you know they weren't too aware of uh, the importance of key visual and so on so you guys came in and uh how do you then work with the team in order to help them out and 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 get that simple message uh, david that you were talking about across to um you know the community ultimately with great difficulty um <laughs> i mean it's it's um you've got to consider i think that you know uh, i mean every every sex sector has its own challenges and i think that um with game developers you know um the fact is that the the game is so personal to them it's connected to their identity um you know they have got guys who can create some amazing visuals so the assumption is you know well we can create the brand um so we we you know we have to kind of go in and and try and show them um what is good brand communication um and it's 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 about actually then sort of listening to what you know finding out as much about the game and then feeding back some really simple insights into how you can actually deliver that game with that is a compelling way to the market um, at, at what point do you usually enter that relationship with a developer? I mean, uh, I can imagine, like, if you do it very late, um, then uh, there's only so much you can do. Um, so I, I would assume you prefer to be on board early on and already kind of help them, you know, lay the foundation for everything. Is is that the way you usually work? I, I think well, it's, it's different. It's, go, go ahead, question. Go ahead. Well, it's it's very different from developer to developer. Um, Obviously, we often get the, hey, we're two months from launch. Can you do a kick-ass key visual? <laughs> and, our, and our response is, no, we can't. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but you can get some rock and roll bureau to just, you know, throw out something cool that might work if you're really lucky. But what we like to do, we go deep. We want to figure out what is the artistic intent in the company? Who are you trying to get to react to this? What are the key emotions? What are the key selling points? How does it connect with the IP or that? And it takes time. It really does. So to what, what extent from your experience does your work feed back into the actual development of the game? I, I can imagine that you sometimes come in and help them actually figure out what the artistic intent is they want to communicate. Um, I, I'd be surprised if there's no developer out there that uh, that ever was wondering, like after you guys came in, hmm, wait a second, this is maybe not what we originally intended, but this is what we like so much better. So how about we build parts of the game around what you guys helped them develop? Is, is that something you experience? Well, it's actually, my impression is that we help them articulate something they didn't know they already knew. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. because they're not used to talking about this in a way that can be communicated to others. It's very passion-based, as David says. Um, so we can help them articulate it. And sometimes we're part of building the IP from the ground up, and sometimes it's later in the process. Are there certain um, focal point or let's say specific genres that you deal with mainly, or are you pretty much working across the entire ecosystem in games? It's usually the ambitious ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's that's that would be who we who we would want to target. Yeah. Um, because uh, there is a kind of inbuilt resistance to the, the, there's a, a kind of desire to have the stuff we talk about but there's a resistance to engage with it um and that's something which we found kind of probably one of our core challenges in in the marketplace but why would yeah. you think that is is it because developers feel like oh they just want to make a game and don't want to worry about anything else or what's, what's well the main let, let me let me see if i can i could take that one one of the one of the challenges that that i've seen that i've never come across in any other industry and i've i've done you know i've, I've done brand identity work for for the 
Queen in Denmark, right? So I, I've done a lot of, I've worked on a lot of different industries. And I've, it's the first time I've come across an industry with, with specific challenges where you're working with people who are very artistic um, and who are able to produce a lot of the material. And it's not often you come up with, you, you come up with that. So you have people yeah. who are actually able to produce logos. They're able to produce key visuals. But the big problem and the, the huge challenge is that they're just often so close to the game that it's it's so difficult for them to articulate that. And it's also trying to articulate what that game is about, that emotional experience to the market in a way that is going to resonate within the market. And that's the challenge. Producing a key visual, producing a cool key visual, and producing a cool logo, all those things, they can be done to different levels of, of success. But to be able to articulate a, what what that game is about from an emotional experience in the market. That's where it gets really, really difficult. I think so Christian, it's, it's funny. Be- yeah, it's, it's funny because I experience that it's exact. This is one of the places where the IP challenge and the brand challenge is exactly the same. And a big part of it is, I think, that most game developers come out of garages, so or bedrooms. You know, <laughs> so the whole. It, it's almost a self-taught industry. So even the companies that have 100 employees or 200 employees are still being run as if they're a bunch of friends sitting in connected bedrooms. And the problem with that is that you don't, it's very difficult to respect something you don't understand. So both the IP and the branding is done internally by whoever's closest or whoever feels the passion for it. But they've never been schooled in either. So when I visit a company, I'll find the stories being written by the guy who used to run the D&D campaign in the office mm. because because that's what he always did. And as Jerry says, the key visual is being made by the concept artist, not because he understands the market, not because he understands how to articulate what the game can do, but because he draws well. Yeah. So there is this kind of, to me, Gaming is the closest, having a job in gaming is the closest you can get to rock and roll and still play with computers. That's what I always say. (laughs) Exactly. It's it's a whole industry. Yeah. And that means that, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to have, there's a kind of lack of understanding of professionalized tools that are not technical. So, so that means you're also trying to educate people. Once you and to 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 help like uh, raise awareness for that for that topic. <clears throat> yeah, there's, there's a phrase, there's a phrase used, Christian, by yourself recently, which really stuck in my head. Which was um, when somebody when you were describing um, trying to understand the market, um, and they said something, and you can explain this better. But like that's market led creativity, is it not? And that's not what we do, and that kind of sounds to me a lot of kind of the resistance we kind of get is a resistance to 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 the market driving what you do in the game. Christian it was you who kind of that was said to. Yeah, I yeah. think I guess I mean because game developers are a lot of them are artists at heart and they should be that. And the point is that I think there's a lot of resistance to you know there's a lot of fear of being told you have to go over there because that's what the marketing strategy says. But that's not really what it's about. The point is to make creativity-led marketing. It, it's The point is to figure out what's at the heart of this game, what's at the heart of the game developers, help them to build the best IP they can from that, and then help them to communicate that to the market in a way that that audience will enjoy and will be attracted to. I mean, But we, there is we, this sort of... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Christian. We do find that, you know, um, quite often, you know, it, there is there is a moment of like this massive level of awareness where, you know, where we get to a certain level with, with, with developers and they suddenly realize, you know, they see it. They see that, you know, that, that what we're saying makes sense. Um, and it, it's quite funny because, you know, we worked on one project and we had, you know, the creative director was very resistant but as he started drifting into the process, he suddenly went from being the most resistant to being the one who was most um, 
uh, let's say, uh, the, the biggest champion, yeah. the biggest champion mm-hmm. of, of our work. And that was because he could he could just see the, 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 the value of it. He could just see the value of it. He could see the level of depth um, and, and research. And I think it do. comes out of them not, I think it, sorry, I think it comes out of them not, under, not, not knowing the words, right? So the dynamic we often have is that I'm the guy who bootstrapped my way up through the games industry, and I'm sitting here with two rocket scientists who are coming in from another business, right, with foreign words and, and stuff that people don't <laughs> yeah. understand. So when David says, hey, we got to do the positioning, the what? we got to position the game in the market. And for David and Jerry, that's like they know exactly what it means and, and so on. But n- nobody else in the room knows what it means, and I have to raise my hand. Can you explain that? And then, yeah. Lars, can you tell me what positioning is? Well, I know, uh, like vaguely, I would say it is um, putting the game in the market. That's how I would understand in a way that uh, that you um, define what you are and what you're not, who your what your surrounding area is, um, uh, where 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 you want to um, be on, like along certain criteria that you define. I don't know what which ones you're using, but that's like what I would say uh, you are. So so getting a clearer identity of uh, what is already out there, how you can be unique, what your kind of USP is, and then making that shine. That's how I would right. approach it. Being like that, that, saying it in layman's terms here. That's <laughs> so there's a good. job at leverage waiting for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. No, I, I think it is. I think it is that. I think it's a case of, you know, it's taking a look at. It's not just looking at the market, but it's also looking at the game. It's looking at how you know what what is the essence of that brand. What is the artistic intent? And and once you uncover that, then it's looking at the market and saying, okay, how is this going to fit into the market? And how do we articulate? what the artistic intent is in the best way possible to uh, enable it to compete with, with the, uh, the other players out there. Yeah. So I, I actually I the, wanted the to, to share one of the, <laughs> an anecdote on my side, because when you said that you sometimes have the, um, uh, you feel resistance, you come into a team and they don't quite understand the, the terminology you're using and uh, they don't know why do we actually need, we can't do it on our own. I've had a similar, um, experience with one of the largest studios in the company I work for right now, where, uh, you know, we hired a, um, a brand, um, uh, agency in that case, not you guys, but, uh, <laughs> we worked with a company there and, uh, and they came in and they presented um a key visual uh they presented what they understood from previous conversations and all of a sudden I'm, and, and i would say almost the entire room was skeptical uh when the guys came in because they were like yeah well we are the artists we know what our game's about so why do we need mm. this and i can really relate to what you were saying before because then after the presentation after the guys showed how they understood what the game was about and uh and what the messages that they want to send to the players out there then all of a sudden it was like Wow, it was really good that we hired these guys. We might not have understood everything they originally said, but now seeing this in action and having them explain the key visual, why the key visual has been designed a certain yeah. way, why elements are on there and others are not, you know, that that's exactly what helped people. So uh, I, I can, you know, really uh, yeah. support them, the yeah. message you had said before. But I actually I mean, think that the easiest way to, to explain it, the problem is you see a good key visual, it's difficult to construct why deconstruct why it works but when it doesn't work that's that's easier to decode so we see for example a game that goes out and has a trailer that shows it's a shooter it looks like a triple a shooter but actually it's a moody exploration game with a little bit of shooting so that's a case of positioning it badly right People will watch the trailer, they will go and buy the game, and then they will be disappointed because that is not what they were being sold. Yeah. So it's actually the positioning in the market is different from the actual experience in the game. And that's easier to understand sometimes. Yeah, I had this, uh, these experiences in the past. I worked in online games for pretty much the majority of my time in the industry, about 12 years right now. And oftentimes in, in online games or web-based games, um, you uh, you didn't really have anything nice to to show. You didn't have gameplay that was like super um, you know, watchable, I would say. It's it's cool if you play it alone, but it's not something that is super entertaining when you show it to other people. And, um, and so a lot of companies actually try to create trailers that made their game look 
look better. And, you know, and that's exactly what you guys are talking about. So then you saw the trailer and you, you downloaded the game or you, you accessed the game online and you played it. And it's like, well, that's, that's not what I signed up for. You know, I, I thought it's some completely different. And we had our own experience in my previous company where we had like a, it's, it's legendary almost. We had a little bit of a flash banner where you could throw axes at, at something. It was just a, it's a stupid thing that we did. And it had nothing to do with the game at all. So when people did this, they thought like the game would be some casual where you can, I don't know, throw things at something, but it was like a war game, you know, that was really, really hardcore. Uh, and that for me was the first example where I saw that, you know, there's the, the identity of the game and what we communicated to the outside really didn't match at all. Uh, and, uh, and that was ultimately bad and we stopped that campaign anyway. So, but, uh, that was one of the examples, I guess, that fits into the category. We, we worked with a game in the past that, um, they, they suffered from what I would say is, uh, lack of self-confidence. And what they started doing was rather than just trying to define what the game was about and, and, and what this, what the inherent story in the game was and, and what the, um, what the, 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 uh, artistic intent behind the game was, they started drifting into trying to make it look like other successful games out there. And as a result, it was having a lot of problems. It was having a lot of problems succeeding. Not because the game wasn't great, because it was. Not because the game wasn't original, because it was. But the way they were articulating it in the market was they were just, how would I put it? They, they were um, on... Uh, they were they were concerned about how how people would react to it. They didn't have the, the confidence in the game themselves, so they started producing marketing material that was just like what everybody else was doing. Generic, because I thought, absolutely generic, generic. exactly yeah. generic. Yeah, yeah, and and um, that was their their downfall because what they had was incredibly unique. We could see it. We could see what they had was incredibly unique, but the way they were marketing it was in a generic way because. They they couldn't articulate that uniqueness. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it certainly does. So and, and I guess this is a problem that just becomes bigger because there's more and more self-publishing, right? So there's more and more companies who are in direct contact with their customers. Where in the old days, the publishers would have a whole department taking care of building a strategy, articulating what the game is about, building the visuals, and and, and so on. So are so you us not are, are go usually away. working with publishers or with developers or both? We're working mainly directly with developers. Because it sounded because a bit like when you were, it sounded like when you're saying there's more self-publishing, it sounded like they actually are kind of missing the publishers because they they could, you know, help you guys out in creating awareness for the importance of brand and IP. Well, it's a two-sided blade, right? Because the reason that leverage uh, has a reason to be is that there are more and more game developers who are not using publishers. Yeah. So they really need the kind of skills we bring to them to enable them to do effective branding, to enable them to build an IP that will last, and so on. But since a lot of game developers don't really have the understanding that this is a difficult job, there's a problem there, for us at least. Yeah. Um, I can I can understand. So let's talk a bit about um, the details. When we talked about IP and and brand, what are the building blocks for this? So if you if you are to define a brand or if, you know really work on that or or an IP, how do you how do you do this? And what are important components of uh, of creating this? Well, I think the, the, the kind of um, building blocks of brand are fairly straightforward and simple. It's it's you know strategy. Okay, so what is our plan based on what we know? where we're going, where we want to be. It's then positioning, um, which is how do we want to be perceived in the marketplace? Because uh, ultimately, yeah, for a brand, it's about perceptions. Um, the next aspect is communication, is how do we es establish and embed those perceptions um, through visuals and language? And, and lastly, which is something which we haven't really talked about, was culture. How do we align ourselves internally to our strategy and our communications mm -hmm. so that we're all kind of moving in the same direction? So that's, you know, strategy, positioning, communications, and culture. That's the kind of, you know, the four, I think, core building blocks of, of Just of when brand. you say no. that, when you say that, it, it strikes me that, you know, you say, how do we want to be perceived in the market? And I can already feel a bunch of game developers thinking, hey, we want the market to see our souls. 
You know, we don't want to manipulate it. They should see what we are telling them. And the problem with that is that you're taking your art, which is how you build your game, and you're applying the same principle to communication. And that doesn't work. You know, positioning your game in the market, articulating it in a way that the, the customers understand, that's not art. The art is the game and the IP and the original impulse. But if you start doing that, if you start applying that to marketing, you're going to get lost because the rest of the market doesn't see it like you do. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I I think that's one of the biggest problems I think developers have is that I think they drift into trying to articulate to the market how they see it rather than trying to look from the outside in. I think that's a, that's that's I think what we can help um, developers do. Uh, one of the things we can help them do is be able to look at it from the outside in from a commercial context and help them articulate the, the what their game is about or what their artistic intent is about from a commercial context. And I think the, 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 the difficult thing um, for developers is that the the larger audiences you want to reach, uh, the more you have to communicate a whole package in a very coherent way. Um, you you have to have a product that is that is you know that is fully functional and working, um, and you have to communicate to them where they are and how. And you know, it's not about you, they don't want to have to navigate the complexity. Um, so you know you can you, you, you're. you're 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 fine when you when you're talking to innovators, or, you know, or, or or early adopters. They'll take a lot of that stuff, and you can build, you know, a, a, a market out of that. And actually, a lot of games get great traction on, on those on that market. But if you want to move into the larger markets, um, into uh, you know, you have to start packaging your game in a way that the, that they will get immediately, and a way that, that that's important to them. And that it suddenly moves from being about functional and, and gameplay to about emotion. It's what's my experience going to be, um, and that's quite difficult because you know you when you've got a, a developers who are actually basically promoting gameplay. Um, so it's it that's a that's another kind of really core challenge that that we have. But it's like I feel like you know there was this physicist who said on his deathbed, "Why turbulence?" Right? If you had one question he could ask God, it was "Why turbulence?" It doesn't make sense. And I think if if you're talking about games and bringing them to market, if there's one question I can ask God, it's why is the early adopter market so different from the mainstream market? That kills a lot of game developers because they will go out to the early adopter market who will look at their unfinished game and they will love it. And they will base everything on that early audience. The problem is that early audience is quite small. The bigger audience is different and wants an emotional experience. They don't want a list of features, but the early adopter audience does want a list of features. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. That's a that's a by that's the way a very good point. If you look at uh, crowdfunding, for example, it's a trend that I've that I've seen that in a lot of times where games have been backed on Kickstarter, for example, and you interact with the community early on with the early adopters, with people that uh, that uh, you know give you feedback on what they see there. Then you sometimes think, you know, oh, there's ten people that wrote that. I don't know, a certain version of the game would be nice, or a certain feature in the game would be nice, and you start to believe that this is it's ten now, but it's a thousand in a couple of years. And we had that conversation on another episode of the of the podcast series, um, and and then you realize at some point maybe it was only those ten people in the beginning, and, and there were not like tens of thousands that that wanted yeah. to have that, but they've been pretty vocal, and they were the ones that really wanted to get into the nitty gritty stuff and and really uh, you know dig into the features. But the majority of people does not want that, and uh, and and I, so I I can support what you're saying there. A lot of developers think that the early adopters are so important, and I'm not saying they're not. But, you know, you got to think of They're what different. comes next. You know? yeah. They are an, an audience in to the side, right? And the problem is that the people making the game are probably part of that audience. Yeah. So, you know, suddenly you're making games for people like yourself. And that's great if what you want to make is art. But if you want mm. to build a company that's sustainable then you have to go to both the church and the bank, I like to say. You know, the, <laughs> the church yeah. is yeah. the passion. It's the art. Yeah. It's doing exactly why we started this job. But we have to step out of that once in a while and visit the bank because otherwise it's not going to last. It's going to be over. 
in a year or two. Yeah, I think it's important for all the games companies out there that they sometimes understand, well, as as cool as it is that we do, you, you called it rock and roll earlier, you know, it's it's nice to be in this industry, but it, at the same point, we have to make some money with that. Otherwise, we can't keep our companies uh, going. You know, we can't keep making more great games. And uh, sooner or later, I think all developers realize that and uh, may get to the point that they, uh, you know, uh, deal, deal with the though. evil <laughs> in, that, in that sense. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's part of it. But, but, but it's it, also... It, yeah, go ahead, Jerry. Well, it's, it's also what we kind of see is the kind of the, the, the luck factor where, you know, people... You know, game developers—they they produce a game, it, it shoots off, and you know they oh, yeah. kind of think they're—they think they're invincible, right? But it—it's it, sort of like you know, then they try and replicate that, and they just can't because problem of the second hit. Yeah, I've I've seen that in my previous yeah. company. We were struggling at a in massive first hit, and then and then you know trying to recreate that is almost impossible, especially if you don't change the parameters. If you if you believe I've done it once, I can do it again. That usually doesn't work. Yeah, but it's tricky that because. The thing about the luck, we call it the luck trap, or David calls it the luck trap, yeah. um, which is that, you know, you believe because the first thing you did, you did purely on passion, then everything you do should be done purely on passion. Yeah. And then you, the second one fails, and and so on. Um, and the first one plateaus, so and then you find yourself in a really difficult situation. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. I, I know a thing so, or two about these situations. So <laughs> <laughs> I know I but to, to me... To me, that brings us back to the IP because what we like to see is the bigger picture. So we talked about the building blocks of brands. The building blocks mm -hmm. of the IP is sometimes the place we start. So there's three components to that. So number one is you have to have a character you can own, right? And when I mean own, I mean the lawyers have to be able to come after people who copy it. <laughs> and that's tricky so your your character has to be unique enough to be legally protectable but it also has to be appealing relatable all those things let me ask you a question so because you mentioned earlier um that um a, a, an ip cannot be built without a character um do you know any example in the games industry where a game has been successful that did not have a character oh don't get me wrong you can have success without having an ip easily you know counter-strike does not have a character. So you the would not, you would not call Counter-Strike an IP? No. I would call Overwatch an IP, but I would not call Counter-Strike an IP. Counter-Strike is a brand like Adidas. You know, okay. you know what it is, but you're never going to make a movie. Because who's the guy? Who's the girl? Mm -hmm. What do they want? Where are they going? Who's the enemy? It's a sport. It's not an IP. But Counter-Strike or Overwatch is very clearly an IP with very clear characters and a clear story and all these things. You can make an Overwatch TV series. Mm -hmm. You can make Overwatch teddy bears. Yeah, you can make Counter-Strike teddy bears, but I, I wouldn't buy them. Um, so so the, 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 the character is essential if you want an IP. If you just want a brand, that's fine. And you can have success with that, but it's a different thing. The problem is when you go to pitch a publisher and you're not pitching an IP, you're capping the potential for the publisher, right? The publisher is hearing you pitch a single game that can be done once, and maybe it can get some success, but it can't travel to other media. There's a limit. It's difficult to create a series out of it. So you should, we think you should be pitching an IP from the start, and you should be pitching the potential to build a brand as well from the start. Mm -hmm. And if you want to do that, from the IP side, there's three components. There's the character, there's the emotional journey, and there's the universe. So we talked about the character. The second one is the emotional journey. So that's really the story, right? What is the emotions I'm going through? Who wants what and who's trying to stop it? And is it moody or is it happy? Whatever, all that. And then you need a universe that's built to last. So it needs to have a setting that can tell many stories and can you can make many episodes in it. And we were talking to um, Games Workshop at one point, and they said, yeah, we had to kill Warhammer Fantasy. You know that. Yeah, we killed it. Yeah. So why did you? Well, there was nothing left on the map. You know, we had been sharing the entire world map for Warhammer Fantasy from the beginning. And by the time we got to, I don't know, what was it, 7th edition or 9th edition, thereabouts, we had been to every place on that map so many times there was nowhere left to go. So they killed it. They're going to be resurrecting it soon, hopefully. 
<laughs> but that's not that's not building your universe to last. So the point is here that for the IP, character creation, story creation, universe creation, there's also a set of tools and a way to professionalize that. And the way the AAAs do it, and that's what we think the indie should be aiming for, is that the AAAs will be using both the brand tools and the IP tools from the very beginning. So they're building an IP to last, and they're working on how to communicate it to the market from day one. And they're testing both things. But what the indies do is, we'll just trust our passion because that worked the first time. Yeah. No wonder the AAAs are winning. Well, exactly. they're, they're, not, they're not always winning. I mean, to be honest, I, I kind of represent a, a company with, you know, AAA studios. So, so I, I you know, I, I definitely support that, that approach. But uh, there's also many indie developers out there that, uh, you know, um, have their, their fair share of success. And I wonder, is there, um, Sometimes, of course, they can't always put as much attention on it because there's also limited uh, resources that, that the guys have. Sometimes they're very small teams. So, uh, how do you deal with that? I mean, I can also imagine, let's say I'm like a, I don't know, five or 10 person developer, development team. Uh, I want to deal with those topics of um, building a brand and potentially building an IP. And then I, you know, call up you guys and say, Hey, leverage, can you help me? And so are, are you, do they have the capacity? to to work with a company like yours um uh, and what would it take for you know indie developers to actually you know build this um even though they have your help but but can they do it alongside everything else they do without hiring additional people which is sometimes an, an issue well the lowest level is just sparring right yeah the lowest level is you know if you're 10 people no you can't afford to do a complete brand construction campaign with testing and everything, but you can get qualified sparring. Yeah. And is that something uh, that's, is that uh, something you would offer as well? Or is like, or, or what, what kind of, what's, what yeah, size we, of we, team are you usually starting with? No, we, we operate at different levels. Um, you know, because we have different types of, you know, products for different levels. Mm. Uh, it's, it's not, and as Christian says, you know, we, we can, we can come in on a sparring level. I think a, a lot of that can be extremely useful because it's it's always that thing of of of, of having external help take a look at, at you know where you're going from a commercial context and from a commercial perspective and try and help you uh, define that and help you define that journey. Yeah, I think the truth it's is that when, it, we, it, it, yeah. when, when we started off, um, we were pretty idealistic. We thought, yeah, well, you got to do the big thing, you know. <laughs> And I suppose a bit like that kind of that look thing, you know, we started doing the big thing uh, and we thought that would go on forever. But actually, we're encountering people who are different parts of their life cycle and they have different abilities to kind of to meet, you know, the, the requirements of branded IP. So we're having to think, well, how can we work in a more stealth way with people? And this is where the kind of sparring piece comes. Well, actually, you know, okay, we can we can help here, give some good advice, and bring some 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 experience to bear to help un uh, uncover a problem, um, or to, to to actually make something better. Idealist, ideally, we would much rather do the big thing because we'd be able to hold up something at the end and say, look, here's a great brand and IP as opposed to something we've just polished and helped clean a bit better. Sure. But I think we're going to have to do both. It's, that's something, a realization that we, we've kind of come to. Yeah. Um, it's you know, also, it's also like, if you're 10 people, then you're all living in the church, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And it will help to invite somebody in from the bank just once in a while to sanity check the stuff you're doing. That it, We can see that makes a big difference. But if, you're t if there's 10 of you, you're probably all... It's all hands on deck all the time, praying. Yeah, yeah. What we found is that if you know, if if we get the three of us together for a, a very short period of time to even analyze and feedback on a game, the kind of realization that comes out of that is quite profound, um, yeah. and it's it's very valuable. Yeah. Um, so even if we're just doing that, um, it, it it's very valuable. I think it's sometimes the fresh pair of eyes and like looking at it from, from the outside, giving him perspective and, uh, understanding where, how it could fit in and where, where the challenges are. The reason I'm asking this is because I know that, uh, in our DEFCOM audience, we have a lot of those indie teams, uh, you know, small teams, sometimes, you know, solo developers, sometimes five guys, you know, working on their dream idea. They started, uh, 
in college and then they they took it in and built their first game afterwards um and uh, there's thousands of them and uh, most of them you never hear about because unfortunately they you know that game either never makes it to market or at least it's not commercially successful but uh a lot of people uh want to know what can they do about uh, their game how can they communicate it better i mean the smart ones are the ones that actually realize there there is a challenge there and then are trying to get help uh with that and i think the 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 opportunities there would be massive if somehow you know you guys with the work you do uh and also with podcasts like this and the master class that you guys are doing for for defcom um are are kind of promoting this and the importance of that because there's there's not only the the big guys that need this i think every team you know deserves uh, the the chance to position their game in the market and and build a brand and ultimately at some point build an ip yeah so i think sometimes that the rock and roll uh metaphor is closer to home than we <laughs> than it seems yeah you know all those developers are like rock bands you know and the thing is that the music business is becoming more professionalized so uh, because of you know music streaming and so on they're having to market themselves quite effectively because there's so many bands out there now yeah. so in that way i think actually rock and roll is a little bit ahead of the games industry um but uh it's coming but our, our industry is making more money so that's <laughs> that's a good part <laughs> yeah yeah so, but but only in uh, isolated areas well, yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of growth, at least in in the area. But I now I totally get where you where you're coming from. That there is, um, you know, the certain developments need to happen. If you look at uh, the market right now, uh, there's so much competition. If I I'm, I'm not active in the mobile space right now, I used to be the the past um, ten years or so. But there's, uh, if you look at what's released on the on the app stores, uh, it's thousands of games. I think in 2018 it was like almost 800 games per day that were that were active there. So it was it was just mind blowing <laughs> the numbers for that. And uh, if you want to stand out there, if you want to get generate any visibility then uh you know without uh a, a way to how to how you want to articulate your your message to the community there's no chance at all plus you need a lot of money obviously in order to but, th- but that, that's the whole point of our company is that with that many games coming out you have to stand out and you can't rely on you know your homebrewed brand but once you do stand out it has to last yeah Right, and that's why you need both the IP and the brand. Is it is it usually that when once you let's say you build a first, you work with a company, they build the first game, and they want to build a brand? Um, uh, and I know that you guys think in in both in both brand and IP. But do you have that case often that there is a brand and the brand starts to work, and then you then you come in and help them make an IP out of it? Yeah, and and sometimes it's easy, and sometimes. That's really hard because, <laughs> yeah. you know, if there's no character, how are we going to build a brand out of uh, an IP out of this? You know, that's a tough one. Well, I guess if Jay? there's if there's a game out there, then maybe and, and they want to make a sequel and the sequel, all of a sudden there is a character and makes, uh, you know, well, the, the, the focus on that. I don't know if that's something that would work. This, that's a tough this, one. Yeah. This, uh, I'm maybe not taking it from an IP angle, but we, we, we have worked with established, uh, you know, games that had uh, ambitions to release um, lots of different franchise versions. Um, and that was a challenge in itself because... It, you know, they they had sort of set everything up just to be one game, right? Yeah. So how do you then take that one game and how do you set that up from a branding perspective to suddenly um, enable them to uh, easily adapt into different genres and so on and everybody be able to relate it back to that great experience they had with the with the game at the beginning? That's a challenge. Uh, but but that was a cool solution, right? I mean, the whole idea yeah. of having a you—you you told me that the whole idea of building a brand hierarchy, where people can see it's all one brand, but here's something new. So you get the familiarity, but you also get something new. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. I, I think what works about that is it give it you know from a commercial perspective, it's it's a it's a, a fairly easy win for a game, right? If if you have a success with game a right and then you want to move into a different franchise you develop a different game if you leverage uh as we say in our company bing if you leverage that uh you know success um uh, uh, by but you have to establish that brand you have to establish that brand hierarchy and that might sound simple but it's it's complicated it you know it's not well it's it's complicated if you're trying to do it on your own it's something that 
that uh, it needs work. Uh, it, you, you need to be able to look at the market. You need to be able to see how is this going to affect your game? How does how does the brand hierarchy work? Uh, how it's does also it understanding the expectations, right? Yeah. It's so, you know, we see quite a few developers where they say, so we've had a hit. We're going to do another game. We're going to call it the same, but it's going to be a different game. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. So, okay, so you've created expectations of this, and now you're going to do something else, and you're going to call it the same? Yeah, it's going to be great. We've got a huge audience. I was like, okay, we predict they're going to be really pissed off at you. Yeah, because they want something else. No, no. <laughs> yeah. You know, then that's a thing. You know, the the interplay between the expectations you create and the emotions you connect with and what you actually deliver, it's not it's not completely simple. There's a reason I'm talking to these two rocket scientists every day. <laughs> so I got another brand for you, Fortnite. Brand or IP or both? Brand. I would say both. Oh, right. you don't I would say yeah. brand. Now it's, I don't now see it's getting brand. exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, <laughs> they have this sort of inter, inter sort of slight story that they're kind of messy. It's more like a series of concerts, if you ask me. I I, I think it's a brilliant brand. Uh, I think they've moved very successfully. Uh, you know, from gaming into into fashion. It's uh, well, not you know, uh, merchandise. I also have to say, to when you, when you reach that level of success, all bets are off. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, I mean, it's just when you have that many users, it's a different equation than when you're coming up from the bottom. You you it, you can't really compare those things. It's like when people say, yeah, you, you build IPs, right? Yeah. We want something like Star Wars. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> you, you don't reverse engineer Star Wars and you don't reverse engineer the Bible. Yeah. You know, it's <clears throat> like at that point of popularity, the equation changes. Um, so um, uh, this is something which uh, Christian and I battle on quite a lot is kind of, is it a brand, is it IP? Um, and, you know, fundamentally, a brand is an IP because it's copyright. Um, we yeah. talk about kind of creating something which is unique and protectable. Well, when we create a brand, um, that's what we're working to do. Um, you know, Fortnite is that. Um, so therefore, it can translate into kind of merchandise. It can, can translate into into lots of different things. Um, it's not necessarily an IP from the from 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 Christian's perspective because it hasn't got characters and and and, and story and all that kind of aspect. But it 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 is ownable, so it yeah. is an IP. But we we battle on this all the time. Yeah, I was coming. I'm still while we talk. I'm trying to think of examples of games that have either no characters or not very unique ones. And Fortnite, I would say everybody is, is like a character in there. You as the player, you express yourself in there. So there's no unique uh, key character that I would say. So I'm trying to find examples <laughs> to challenge you, Christian, and, and see if that's he's gonna, not here. He's going to say Bloodborne. He's going to say Bloodborne. Go on. What are you thinking about? <laughs> <laughs> people, people come after me with Dark Souls all the time. They say, no, 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 wait a minute. In our game, people can build whatever character they want. So we can't put one character on the poster. And I'm like, yeah, you can. Look at Bloodborne. You know, if if they're going to make a movie out of Bloodborne, we know what that guy's going to look like. He's going to look like the guy on the poster. So they've built an IP even though every character looks different. Because the story and the emotion and all this that's in the game is represented by that poster, by that character, and so on. And that's an interesting example because what the character on the poster is doing is he's articulating the experience you're going to have in the game. It doesn't have to be... I mean, even if you only have spaceships in your game, I would put a character on the cover. Have him leaning against the spaceship, yeah, cool. But don't just put a spaceship on the cover because you're you're shortchanging yourself. Yeah, there was one old example like from the 90s that I had in mind, uh, the game Descent. Um, I don't know if you played it back then. They didn't have a character on the cover. It was all about the spaceship in in like the mines you flew in. Uh, and there was a similar yeah. one late, later from Blue Byte, uh, Aquanox, which was like an underwater um, uh, submarine game. I loved it a lot, but they, it did not have a character. Uh, but somehow they still, you know, made sequels and uh, I don't know if they sold plush toys. <laughs> I had no idea, but... Uh, you know, so um, there are there are a couple examples there where I'm curious uh, how, how they. There's how lots they of successes. We're, we're not saying you can't have a success without doing these things. Yeah. We're saying you can have better, more, and more sustainable success if you do these things. 
Cool. So uh, this is, I could go on for hours talking to you about uh, brand and IP, but that's why we have the masterclass at DEFCOM. So I want to use that opportunity to uh, point out uh, that you guys are offering this and that we can only encourage our listeners to um, to join that and learn more about brand and IP. Um, I certainly enjoyed this conversation. I want to thank you so much for taking the time uh, to record this episode with us. And I, I would love to reconnect with you guys at, uh, at some point uh, after DEFCOM, maybe have a follow-up and see how the masterclass worked. And, uh, and then until then i will find examples uh, for you christian of uh, games that uh, don't have characters <laughs> but everybody calls them an ip <laughs> it's my personal Let's mission now <laughs> yeah okay. you're on all right uh, we do that enough to ourselves <laughs> david jerry christian thank you so much um pleasure. Uh, for the recording thanks, it, was, uh, it was an absolute pleasure yeah. for me. thank you very Take much yeah, thanks great. Okay, bye Thank you for listening to the DevCom Games Industry Podcast, presented by DevCom.Global, produced by Sven Vossi. Executive producer, Stefan Reichart. Music by WeLoveIndies.com, supported by Biodynamic, high-quality headphones, microphones, and conference systems for professional musicians and gamers, made in Germany. <laughs>